You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Good evening. How are you doing? Welcome to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. My name is Matt Phillips, creator of OneShotLive.com, and as always, this episode is being recorded live on the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel, 8 o'clock every Tuesday. That's where we are. So if you are listening to the podcast, thank you very much. Um, do us the great favor of leaving a fantastic review, um, if you would be so kind, and subscribe so you know when new episodes are coming through. But if you do want to join us live, then yeah, the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel, 8 o'clock on Tuesdays as we have been for the last 146 weeks without fail. So it's the first Tuesday of a new month, May, in case you're listening to this sometime in the future, May 2023. Um, and so we're bringing you our regular series of Ask Anything, in, during which we will bring people from the STA team, as well as Mr. Tim Allardyce, Group Clinical Director of NHS uh, and NHS England Clinical Entrepreneur, as well as founder of We Have My Patient Clinical Software, um, to answer questions which you sent to us during the month. Um, if you do have any questions, anything about the soft tissue therapy industry, just email them to matt at the sta.co.uk. Or, of course, you can come and join us live on the first Tuesday of the month and ask it to the team and Tim yourself face to face. Um, Tim isn't actually going to be joining us till quarter past. Um, he is doing something very official. Um, so, But it's not uh, a problem at all because we have got tonight once again returning to the Ask Anything episode is Dr. Fiona Higgs and also with us will be Gary Benson, founder of the STA. And we've had some really good questions in tonight, so I'm really looking forward to getting them started. Um, people that are joining the live lounge, Glenn Murphy is here. When you do join us live, then I can bring your greeting and comment up onto the main screen which is a lovely chance to show off your picture or your um, social media icon, your business logo, whatever it is. It's a great chance to network um, and also just join in the live chat. Brian Huxley's here. Hey, Brian, how are you doing? Good to see you. So I think that is everything done. Um, the rest of the month, in case you're listening now, the focus of May is going to be on abdominal and groin pain, uh, which will start next week with a fantastic guest. Um, so if you do want to join us for that, like I say, Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel, 8 o'clock on Tuesday. Right, without further ado, let's bring up Dr. Fiona Higgs and also Gary Benson. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. There we go, I should be able to hear you now. I said I'm very good, thank you, Matt. How are you? I'm great. Good to see you. Thank you very much for coming along tonight. And also, Gary Benson, founder of the STA, is here as well. Hey, Gary. Evening, Matt. Evening, Fiona. Hi, Gary. So, um, yeah, great. So, like I say, Tim's not going to be with us for about a quarter of an hour. Um, just to just to reiterate why we have Tim Allardyce up here, um, because some people are like, why have you got Tim Allardyce? We understand he's the creator of. We have my patient, but it's not always about that, is it? But it's not. Tim's fantastic. He's one of the, I've known Tim for years, and he's, he's, he's one of these people who's got a multidisciplinary clinic, and he's done an awful lot to promote the power of having a multidisciplinary clinic. So he's got sports massage therapists working for him. He's got osteopaths. I think he has a podiatrist as well. He's got sports therapists. Um, and he has opened up, I don't know, about 21,000 branches around the country. Not that many, but he's very, very knowledgeable when it comes to businesses 
Um, he's a wonderful mentor as well. So um, just in case anyone's wondering, we do have Tim for that reason. Um, not all of the questions will apply to him. And tonight we've got some wonderful questions, which I'm sure Gary and uh, Dr. Fiona Hickey will be able to answer as well. So Tim won't be with us for a while. People in the live lounge who have joined us, if you've got any questions apart from the ones that I've got lined up for tonight, which will start at quarter past eight, then feel free to put them into the comments now and we will go through them as well uh, when the time comes. But to start off, it's uh, it's quite nice actually to have these little 15 minutes, especially with you, Dr. Fiona Higgs, because you've been busy with the Women in Sports Therapy podcast, haven't you? New episode out? Yeah. Um, so the latest episode that's just been put out this month was with Sonia Fierro. So um, people might know Sonia from her appearances on this podcast. Um, but we've we've kind of dove into if that, that's the right way the grammatic i'm getting my grammar right um we dove into the subject area of um her kind of experience of being a parent for the first time and how that's affected her work as a sports therapy practitioner or rather an osteopath i should say working in sports um based settings primarily um she's now focused on um building her business online and working from home which has been quite an adjustment I think for her but really quite a continuation of the COVID kind of the effects of the COVID situation that we all felt um, a couple of years ago so uh, a very interesting conversation she's very knowledgeable about um, things like uh, childcare and and how you know we've put some resources into the links for the show notes um, so anyone who's got the time to listen to it, um, or maybe if you don't, just check out the show notes, really. There's nothing there to help. I love Sonia, firstly, as a person. She's so knowledgeable and really um, a great member of the industry, really forward thinking, evidence informed, has changed her own narrative along, been in the game for a long time, worked with a lot of GB teams. And it's been really interesting at times, kind of quite scary to see how becoming a mum has changed her career and her possibilities. And obviously I've got kids myself, so I know it opens up doors and suddenly you've got a reason for being, and there's, I mean, it's incredible. But in terms of the phone ringing and possibilities and having to change her business model from being able to dart around, she's, she's a regular speaker at Therapy Expo. She's been on our podcast at least three times. I mean, she did loads of chats with Robert Cowley and stuff traveling around. And now suddenly it's lovely, great, baby's there, gorgeous little girl. Good, isn't it? It is a little girl. I can't remember her name now. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's all changed, doesn't it? On its head a little bit and quite a surprise at sometimes how the industry treats her when she's in the situation. Yeah, I think like, I mean, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I think we saw some, you know, we've, uh, probably we can think of many situations where, you know, having a family near, you know, nearby in close physical proximity can sometimes be seen to be detrimental maybe to the ability to do a job if you're a parent. Um, and it just seems like that narrative is still in existence, you know, whereas I think we're, we're, I hope that we're aiming for a direction where we can really see family and work kind of work together. Um, but I think there was a sort of um, definite talking point in this this particular episode to expand on those views because she you know she's working from home um, she's got her childcare responsibilities but she's still managing to not only find time for work but really think about the situation that she wants like optimizing her situation she's not gone into it blind 
um she she kind of had an idea of what lay ahead with parenthood but um yeah she's just a very <laughs> inspirational individual you know she's she's really carefully planned things and and when challenges have been thrown her way she's she's adapted and and yeah very professional and like sort of a, a great a great um inspiration i suppose if, if you're working and doing the job <laughs> it was really it was quite it was very inspirational i think for everybody to see you guys at therapy expert there was yourself jenny bowl who's again an incredible educator and practitioner and then sonia as well um am i missing out there's four of you oh anna maria, oh, anna maria. don't forget anna and yeah, seeing the four maria. of you there you know it's like sometimes i feel like oh you shouldn't point out you shouldn't even notice the fact that they're women it's just they're people first of all but there's i, I think that's wrong you should recognize and respect and enjoy and celebrate the fact when you have got four such powerful knowledgeable women up there talking and, and setting such a great being such great role models for other female therapists is that okay for me to say or should That's it not so be fine. <laughs> I think that I've never honestly heard anyone use the word powerful in the same sentence as like referring to to me um, well there's, there's many like... different links to power isn't there and you're definitely one of those links you know you've got to be all sorts of different personalities to provide power and, and you four together just seem to be like you know the equivalent of no I won't say the 18 so they're going to start working out who's who but it was a great connection it was really nice to see <laughs> Yeah, I think I was really impressed with how we all seem to be on the same page, really, about things. And I do think that for the best part, everybody, everybody does want, you know, equity. Like we all want to be able to just do the best that we can in the roles that we have and the work that we do and don't want our situations outside of work to really be seen as a negative or a detriment if they're really actually things that we can work around and I think that goes for whether you're a man or woman however you identify whatever your responsibilities in life you know I think we should be able to find ways to find our to answer our calling in life whatever that is and yeah, just be able great. to get on with stuff. Gary I'm interested with you because you've obviously brought up how many 13 children I can't remember how many is now all over six five. <laughs> or five children obviously you got yeah, four of them, boys, one girl, or four men now, one woman. Have you seen differences in the the possibilities that life has given them in terms of one of them, you know, some of being female? Well, I think some of the work that Fiona's been doing on the on the WIST podcast is identifying to us men um, some of the extra hurdles and barriers that, that they may face in clinical practice, in employment, in in, in every aspect of their life. And, and I think that we were possibly guilty of, of taking it for granted that, oh, they'll just crack on and, and get it done. But when you look at how hard it is and, you know, I remember going to, to even things at school, you know, parents evenings. And I always found that someone was more driven towards a, a goal that, than the boys were. Um, and, and when I've discussed that with her, you know, we moved RAF camps a couple of weeks ago and we, we were having a discussion and she said, she felt that she had to do to work harder, you know, to get where she wanted to go. And I, I hadn't understood that, but I, but I do now. And, you know, I think what we do at the STA to support our female members has, has grown immeasurably um, since the, the WISP podcast was born. Um, and, you know, probably three times in the past 
two weeks, we've extended our female members' memberships because they said, well, I haven't done any CPD because I've just had a you know baby, I'm on mat leave. I said, well, if you're on mat leave, let us know. What we'll do is we'll extend your membership. When do you think you're going to go back to work? Okay, August. I'll extend your membership until August. Don't worry about your CPD now. Focus on family life. By all means, join us on the podcast and the web chats and on the coffee evening chats if you get time. But don't worry about it. We're here to support you. We're not going to be punitive because you've got this extra uh, parental responsibility that, you know, usually in the traditional role, the man goes out to work, the, the woman stays at home, looks after the, after the baby. We're not going to be punitive about that. And we think that we could do more to support you. So if any of the STA members are on that lead, ring me up, send me a message. We'll extend your membership and we'll do what we can to support you. That's great. Fiona, is that music to your ears? Is that what you think? It's exactly how you'd want any person that's in any position of influence to react to that kind of issue, you know, like offer a solution, be willing to negotiate, um, meet, meet in the middle. You know, sometimes it's difficult to work around those kinds of things and sometimes it's just not possible. But I think what's really impressive there is just it's probably a luxury in that Gary really does pull the strings in the STA. Um, but, you know, having those direct conversations with somebody who's somewhere near the top really makes a difference as well. Um, so, yeah, I think that's fantastic. Like you'd be a mug not to take up that offer. And <laughs> um, before Tim gets it there, I thought we'd take the opportunity to talk about episode 12 is not officially out yet. I think it's due oh. out end of May, did you say? Yeah. That's right. So um, we were just talking about this because I think we've got it lined up for the 26th of 29th of May. That's right. The 29th of May at 6 a.m. Um, there's a new episode coming out um, which we discuss a topic that is um, it has come up in conversations. If you're a member of the SDA open and closed pages, um, you might have seen some activity around um, child loss and childbirth, um, maybe bereavement through childbirth and um we got um kind of into a conversation sorry my throat's gone a little scratchy um <laughs> i i ended up in communication with um debbie cuts um who has experienced this herself and um i know members of the sda groups will also be aware of you know recent things that have been happening um and it just kind of spurred a conversation um to maybe hold an episode about that topic um and obviously everybody in our kind of like audience might have different experience of this um but it was really helpful to have a conversation on my part you know I felt like Debbie really opened up a, a whole new world of um experience that I've not you know really been privy to um and Rowena Paling from Sands who um are a charity that care for and help um families look after families who are, are bereaving um who've who've lost a, a child um so yeah the 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 episode is obviously it's not a light listen but i think it could be quite helpful if anybody's interested in learning more how we can support people who are going through going through this kind of experience she's a couple of years on from her own loss and um i think it's it's quite a surprising you know number of people who experience this and don't even talk about it don't have a have a chance to disclose it um, and just to touch upon something that you talked about you know maternity leave and things like that unfortunately there are kind of these really arbitrary almost um time frames that um employers will work to you know in terms of if you're working and 
you lose a child through whatever sad event might happen you might not be entitled to mat leave you might have um you know complications in terms of just not being able to not work um if even if you are self-employed um after losing a child so i think you know we really ought to be aware of these things and kind of um the emotional element but also financially how that impacts people um and if anybody's gone through that maybe it'll be consoling hopefully to have a shared journey you know a shared experience to kind of listen to the story and maybe reach out to debbie as well she's like a wonderful individual and rowena's access to resources obviously she she's a great person to contact at sans or their helpline obviously that we give details for sounds like amazing episode and kudos to you once again for raising a topic which like you say is taboo it must be horrible for people who have suffered that to then have to, like you say, continue their journey with people like not knowing what to say and turning away and just treating it like with some you know, big elephant in the room. So if people have been affected by that or interested, then are they OK to email you to contact you and you might be able to? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So that... Yeah. So if you want to reach me um, through the SDA, uh, through our WIST email, it's WIST, W-I-S-T at the SDA.co.uk. Um, if you can find me on social media, I will eventually respond to messages, but um, definitely email is probably the, the fastest way to reach me at the moment. Amazing. Right. Thank you for that. OK, our Tim is here. So there we go. Um, the WIST or Women in Sports Therapy uh, podcast available, obviously, on all platforms. Um, and if you're looking at them social media, then it's quite simple. It's just at UK underscore WIST, W-O-S-T. So Instagram and Twitter, Facebook page. Um, and also all episodes are available on the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel. Own a little playlist there um, for Women in Sports Therapy podcast. Right then, I think it is time now um, to bring up Tim Allardyce. Tim Allardyce, how are you doing? Doing well, how are you? Oh, I'm loving your different background tonight. Looking, yeah. I know, I'm at an amazing place called The Tampere, um for an NHS England clinical entrepreneur event, uh, which is a fantastic um, uh, uh, setup that promotes entrepreneurism and innovation in the NHS. Fantastic, and what are you doing there? You can't just leave us hanging on a thread. What, what, how come you're there? Oh, I'm actually just attending. So they, they run these things called pit stops. They're fantastic. Um, I was on the program three years ago and I've stayed on the program sort of doing some mentoring. And um, so I like to turn up to events, especially if they're in London. Um, and they're brilliant events. They always help motivate me and inspire. They're really inspiring. They have founders and they talk about, you know, they had um, a guy called Chris Whittle who set up um, a, a company called Q Doctor, which was video consultations during COVID. So that was really interesting. Um, and yeah, it's just really interesting listening to founders and stories and stuff. Wonderful. And that gives you fuel and information and experience to then pass on to us mere mortals when you come uh, to these episodes. So thank you for that. Really appreciate right. it. How are you guys? I think we're all, I think we're all good, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. Yeah, great. You, Very good. Thank you. <laughs> you well, Fiona? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks. Great to see you. Yeah. And Gary, you well? Yeah, very well, thank you, Tim. Yeah, we must have a catch up soon, following on from last yeah. week's meeting with ther- yeah. deal with Therapy Expo again. Yeah, 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 fantastic. Coming around the corner, right? So we've got some lovely questions for everybody to discuss in this episode of Ask Us Anything. 
Um, and thank you to everybody who did send in. In fact, a lot of the questions tonight come from the massage and training, sports massage training and support group, which is available on Facebook. Um, and I've asked the people who asked them if uh, it was okay to repeat their question. They said yes, some of them anonymous, some of them said their own name. So um, if you are looking for um, an alternative place to, to hang out, um, then you might want to have a little look in there. It's the, like I say, the sports massage training and support group, lovely lady there, Tracy, who looks after it all. And um, yeah, nice place to visit. So um, same as normal, really. I'll bring a question up on the screen. No one's got to particularly be the first to answer. Any experience appreciated. And obviously people in the live lounge are watching. If you've got any experience and you feel like helping and sharing as well, then put it into the comments. We'll bring it up as well. So I've preloaded the questions um, as per normal. And this happens in case you listen to the podcast. This happens the first Tuesdays every month. It's an Ask Us Anything episode. And um, we're always going to have members of the STA team and more often than not, Tim Allardyce as well will be joining us to share his wisdom and experience. So if you like the format tonight, and just look out for the first Tuesday as every, of every month on the Sports Derby Association YouTube channel. Right, we ready, gang? I need to get some sound effects on here. Question one, the short version, sports massage for multiple sclerosis. Now, I'm a bit of a stab in the dark here because I'm not sure how many of you have got experience of this. I've had experience of working with someone with it, but I'm opening it up to everybody and you in the live lounge. The full question, uh, which was actually asked by um, a therapist called Scott Millington um, from within the Sports Massage Training and Support Group. Um, and the question was, clients with MS. I have, a, I have had a potential client approach me to give sports massage to his wife to help with her MS. Could you offer some advice, please? Um, sure. I'm not an expert on MS. I know the basics of it, but I'm not a neuro specialist. Um, I would say the first thing is, is find out what your scope of practice is. So if it's something that you have knowledge of, then by all means get involved. If you haven't, I'd be cautious. Um, it's a complicated neurological condition. I'm sure that sports massage could add benefits, especially therapeutic benefits. So I'm certain that, that patients would probably feel the benefit of having sports massage or massage therapy. I'm sure they would they, they would feel good from having it. And whether it has any um, um, evidence-based effects or improvements, I, I would be doubtful. Uh, but but I think that, that that that's not a major issue because if somebody wants it, then and they're prepared to pay for it, and they feel that it's going to help them, then then fine. But the key thing is is do you have knowledge and training of treatment of someone with MS. I personally wouldn't feel very comfortable treating someone with MS and, and I wouldn't take that patient on because I don't have that specialist knowledge. Um, so decide whether it's within your scope of practice. Good answer. Gary, how do you decide whether it's in your scope of practice? You well, I, I like Tim, um, wouldn't be happy myself if I, if I was still in clinical practice. And when I was in clinical practice, I, I built a network of, of local um, wider industry professionals with, to whom I could refer onwards. Um, I did have a case once that I remember, um, and it was uh, a, a chap who'd been diagnosed with amyotrophic lateral cirrhosis. Um, and if you look at the, the title of that, literally, it's myo of obtaining to muscle and atrophy weakness. So he was suffering with muscle weakness, um, again neurological uh, route to the problem but when he was referred out to uh, the, the relevant professional he was then referred back saying listen 
it's fine. He wants a sports massage. He wants his muscles activating because they're not naturally activated as, as much as they, they should be. There wasn't the, the, the muscle innovation. Um, and, and I gave him some, some massage treatments, which he felt better for. But as Tim identified, the evidence to support whether I did him any good or not is just not there. So it was really, and it, it, again, we can put this to a wider context, you know, and, and we get asked this question week in, week out. You know, one of my clients has got cancer. Can I treat them? Well, cancer and, and, and MS is not a contraindication to treatment. Obviously, it raises more questions that we should pursue with regards to red flags, yellow flags, etc. But then we have to think as a soft tissue therapist, as a sports massage therapist, are we providing a therapy that the client will make the client feel better? It, it, will it give them a better quality of life? And as long as you've got that medical clearance, I, I think you're okay. But as Tim identified, you know, refer out first and see what comes back and try and engage with the professional to whom you're referring so that you can use it as a CPD uh, learning opportunity. Dr. Fiona Higgs, any personal experience or? No personal experience of treating or being sought or treatment being sought from me, but um, I agree completely with the cautious approach. I think that um, when you've got, you know, neurological um, underlying neurological causes for anything like things like sensation you know we're talking about administering sports massage which typically relies a lot on feedback from the client to tell you how much pressure to apply and where that like balances between pain and beneficial kind of neural input it's really important or sensory input it's really important to know not just what the condition is but the degree to which this person you're treating is being affected and, and and that kind of thing i think um there are obviously different stages of progression in a neurological condition like that as well. So that might influence. So I think talking to not just a professional, but perhaps their own support network of GPs and whoever they're working with in consultation should probably be the first line of call. Matt, as you know, I'm a, I'm a big, whatever the opposite of fan is, I'm not really a, key, a fan of, uh, course levels you know numerical levels attributed to courses because I don't think they have a reflection on the educational standards but you know what Tim said about scope of practice under normal circumstances we would say that somebody with a level three sports mass- massage qualification issued after 2014 only has the scope to uh, apply pre post inter and maintenance massage so in normal circumstances we'll be saying if you if you've got a remedial intent to your treatment then you should have a level four qualification but in this case you know if as a level three practitioner you refer on to a medical uh, regulated health professional and they refer back to you and say look it's fine to give a massage then i think that that would be included in the scope of practice just to apply some massage stroke to somebody with this condition or other condition and that go normally goes against the advice i would give about if somebody's got a, got a pathological tissue or an injury, you need to be at the level four for the soft tissue therapy. But in this instance, if, if you've got that medical clearance, by all means, apply a massage. Mm-hmm. I think um, in my experience, and it wasn't just massage, it was more exercise, not even exercise prescription. It was looking at what they've already been given by the NHS or from the MS groups they go to. 
And there's a lot of work you can do there if you're qualified as a sport, in my experience, anyway, if you're qualified as a S&C coach or something, translating what they think they're supposed to be doing into actually making these black and white photocopies into something fun and meaningful with a target. All these classic things of instead of just putting your leg out and trying to balance on it, draw a letter, try and reach a target, you know, do things which make it. And I've worked a couple of times just translating information that was given to them into something meaningful, fun, progress it and as always just listening to that person and giving them hope and because it's like all of the particularly I mean there's a number of these diseases which can be so debilitating and you're thinking this is a slippery slope where I'm going to end up in a wheelchair because I've read it and it's just you know terrible so you can provide so much by listening and advising and I'm thinking of one person in particular who I've worked with and they have to be very careful not to overdo it or they'll have three days where they can hardly move. But it's it's a really tricky Goldilocks zone. But when you do hit that right spot, they can have a day where they're walking without having to pause or stop at all because they've just teased the body enough to get the balance and the coordination and everything suddenly a little bit more skin level sort of thing so they can actually manage and, and coordinate and stuff. But it's, yeah. Um, so yeah, check that you're allowed to, check scope of practice, but if you are, oh, you can provide so much again just by having that hour with that person explaining, listening, advising. You can do so much, so much. Anyway, um, have we got anything in the live lounge here? Have you been having experience working with people with uh, neurological conditions? Um, here we go. I've got one, I think. Let's have a little look. Becky Carroll says, I've treated a few people with MS and HSP, worked with them in a therapeutic role. I found that METs helped rather well for those with spasms in particular and helped with MSK control short term. There we go. Um, and Becky Carroll, you Becky, Becky Carroll, Becky Carroll, you're level five, aren't you? No, you're a sports degree. You've got a degree in sports therapy. So, yeah. So it's interesting. You, I presume that um, scope practice wasn't an issue for you whatsoever. Um, Chris Harbord has kindly said, be careful of a person asking for treatment for someone else. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting as well, isn't it? We missed out on that. Good ears, Chris, sitting back there listening. Yeah, his, what, his client asked him whether he'd give something to his wife. Yeah, well noticed, Chris. Yeah, good stuff. Oh, you don't miss anything in that case, case history, do you? Great. Okay, we've got some questions to get through. Um, let's go through to... This is a nice one I thought I'd bring up. Um, let me just bring it on the screen in short version. Right, tips for learning muscle origins and insertions. The bane of many a level three, in particular therapists trying to pass their exams with these ridiculously long lists of origins and insertions and functions to learn. Um, yeah, this is a question again put in the sports massage training and support group, uh, which I said I'd give out to the group. Your recommendations, I'm sure you've all been through it. Maybe for you, Tim and, and Gary, it was probably 30, 40 years ago. But do you remember anything which helped you? Tablets? Well, I think, it, I think there's not enough information in the question there, Matt. We need to identify what this person's learning style is. And if they're auditory learner, they may have to listen to podcasts or they may have to recite the muscles out, reading them from a book parrot fashion and then listen back to them. If they're a kinesthetic learner, they may have to get a skeleton out and a piece of exercise band and, and pin it to the origin and to the insertion. You know, for me, what I found particularly beneficial was there was a book that you can still get on Amazon now. Um, Mel Cash, um, Pocket Atlas to the Body. And what it did on one page, there were the, 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 the deeper muscles of the arm. 
and then there's the superficial muscles of the arm. And what I did is I, I took the page and I learned that parrot fashion. I'm on the spectrum somewhere, quite obviously, but I learned that parrot fashion. I wouldn't go on to the next page until I knew that page. And so for me, it was split things up into bite-sized pieces of information, learn that, go on to the next one. At the end of the second uh, sort of lesson or page, I would test myself on the first page. And I found that worked for me, just for my particular learning style. But we have to identify as an educator the, the, the person's relevant learning style and then adjust the, the learning opportunity to that. Really good. Great points. Tim, Fiona. Uh, yeah, I, 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 when I was at university, I had an amazing lecturer called Bernard Kingston, who'd written a book called Understanding Muscles. And it's quite a dated book, but it's, 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 it's a quite a classic as well. And if I can just share my screen, I'll, I'll, I'll share the link, uh, I'll share the, um, the, the, the image with you so you can see it. Um, hopefully you should see that now. Can you see that? Uh, I think I might be able to bring it up. I'm a little bit busy under here. Oh, yeah, showing screen. Here we go. So um, understanding muscles, a practical guide to muscle functions. And basically it was a, it was it, it, it you drew them, you, you colored it in with your pen. So you can so kind of start to learn the, the origins and attachments and um, uh, origins and insertions using a, a by, by simply by coloring it in. Nice. So I thought that was quite a cool little book um, to, 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 to use. How did you just um, have that in your pocket then? I mean, what if you, how did you just have that at hand? I'm curious to know how you had it. You just haven't had it on your laptop or? When I saw the question come up, I, it just triggered a <laughs> memory in my mind. And, and you had to get it, you must have such a great system of filing things. That's the guy. Um, and, and so, yeah, you know, I, I think, look, it, it does depend on how you learn. Uh, for me, I just learned power fashion. I remember being at university and we had to learn 40 um, forearm, hand, and wrist muscles, origins and insertions, and nerve supply, uh, and it was very, very complicated. And, and I don't remember very few of them now. Um, really, I remember very few. Uh, and I, I think you know, it, it's important for the exams. It's important to know because you need to know the function. I think if you understand the function, then it really helps to know where where the muscle travels. You know, if you understand that that. Um, the function of the pectoralis major you can kind of visualize that it that, it, that it, you know it's an internal rotation rotator so you know it's you know that it's it, it's going to sort of pull the arm in so you know it's going to kind of attach somewhere around the sort of upper part of the humerus um so i think understanding function is key as well and that'll help you visualize the origins and assertions fiona any tips are you an educator yourself? I'm sure you were smiling as you heard Gary go through the different types of learner. That's something I'm sure you deal with every day. But well, actually, you know, my first thought was a lot of that's been debunked now, Gary. <laughs> so oh, I can't yeah, that, say like, that. A visual learner and things, but I still find that helpful reference. You know, I think theories come and go, but actually, I'm a visual. I think I'm quite visual um, in my learning, but totally agree with the bite size thing. And like visually trying to, that works for me. Uh, it may not work for everyone. Uh, it's interesting. I've been listening to way too many uh, podcasts uh, by Andrew Huberman. But he, if you're interested in visualization as a way of like preparing for performance in sport or anything, uh, maybe like pick up his podcast because the Huberman Lab podcast has a, an episode dedicated to that that's just come out really recently. But I do think... Um, 
for me, it's about finding weird connections in the the sounds of words. I don't know why, but ever since I was in school, I always try and like come up with some stupid little association between I don't know the Latin origin of like in you know learning anatomy, you know. Um, but like obviously, you know, a silly example is the humorous and it's being a funny bone. But uh, I can't think of any other examples right now. Um, Sartorius. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's like, isn't there like the sergeant muscles as well for like sar- like sartorius, sartorius gracilis, and semitendinosus. There we go. So there's like there's all sorts of acronyms and things. I'm not I'm not definitely the most qualified person to talk about it, but some of my colleagues teaching at the university definitely absolutely like they have the weirdest and wonderful kind of like sayings to to help i think you've all kind of said it is and a lot of learners don't realize this it's working out what works for you it's like everything in life isn't it stop trying to do what the other person next to you's work for them because even though they may debunk i mean they do did go way too heavy into this what type of learner are you but you still can't get away from the fact that some people learn by seeing and touching and feeling other people will learn by listening other people are seeing so um, there's a great book i don't know if you know um the trail guide to the body but that's quite if you're a visual person that's quite a, i think it's quite a key textbook on a lot of courses actually but um that's quite a good one they're also so random as well aren't they i love they the way also they do flashcards they do flashcards yeah. some people as well yeah and coming yeah. in like tim works really worked for some people it's just like wow this is exactly what i needed so as educators i think we just kind of put a load on the table and say right what do you like what do you like look at what works for you um, in the live lounge here, Brian Huxley brought up a nice traditional one, which for some people is lovely, mind maps. You know, just like us kind of connecting, isn't it, where you draw the circle and then something else and coming off there and just connecting things together. Becky Carroll is buttoning again. Don't worry, Becky, you can button any time you like. Learn anatomy online with Mike Grice is a must for learning anatomy. Maybe not for everyone. But yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, no, it's got a lot of uh, respect there. The learning anatomy course is great for a lot of people definitely worth shouting out for that Catherine Ryman here as well is applauding that idea yeah no it's great again that's very visual learning in a group learning with peers not trying to do it by yourself chatting about it talking to each other trying to teach someone else that's often a nice one as well where you've just about grasped it and then you get someone even if it's your grandmother or something who doesn't really hear you just sit down and explain to that person where everything is and if you can teach something it's a great way of, of showing that you've learned it so spoiler Chris Harbord, what's this here? So we'll look, I'm involving people in the live last today. Why do we need to know names? Oh, I thought you were talking about like each other's names. Well, that was a bit deep. Why do we need to know names? Tissues are not separate. Okay, that's a whole nother story. If we could go down that rabbit hole, some other point. You need to know your names. That's the only way to pass a level three exam at the moment. Simple as that. Otherwise, you're not going to get your certification and move on to something else. And also, we need to learn these things kind of quite black and white, don't we, before we expand and, and divide things up. Um, but anyway, great, good question. Um, and I hope if you're the person who asked that in the sports massage training sport, that's given you lots of ideas. Right, ready for the next question again? Um, let's bring it up on the screen. Quite a specific one here. And we'll see if we can get to uh, the bottom of this, pun intended. Treating coccyx pain, coccydinia, caused by deadlifts. Right, first of all, any experience of treating that? Me, not. Um, so um, I, I have a little bit of experience of treating coccydinia. So coccydinia is, is essentially an inflammatory or inflammation of the coccyx. Um, it's very common. The most common times we see coccydinia is um, post-childbirth. 
Uh, and the second most top com common time we see cocks doing it is um, after a fall landing on your backside. Um, I've never come across a, a coxedinia patient um, who's had coxedinia from from deadlifting or weightlifting, so that would be highly unusual. Um, how do you treat it? Um, so, with any inflammatory problem, the first step is to reduce inflammation. So, let's imagine that they'd been through the normal medical route. They'd go to their doctor, and the doctor would probably prescribe anti-inflammatories and whether you like drugs or not, there's a good possibility that they probably would have helped. Um, the second thing is, is, is to reduce inflammation by not aggravating it. So avoid pressure on it. Often sitting can be very uncomfortable. Um, use cushions, use, use, use coccyx cushions or, uh, or, or pillows to help soften it. But basically try not to irritate it and inflame it. Just let it, let it get better. Um, now, treatment is, is an interesting one. Um, it's very hard to treat. You, um, there, there is a very old osteopathic technique, um, which I was invited to learn, um, which is a perectal technique. Now, whether this works or not, um, I'm dubious and I didn't learn the technique, so I have no experience of it. I've never done it. But there are osteopaths out there that actually do a perectal coccyx ad adjustment. Um, they're few and far between these days, but it was much more commonly performed. And allegedly, it did perform real miraculous improvements on chronic coccyx pain. Ultimately, I don't really know whether it works or not. So treating coccyx pain, really very difficult, reduce inflammation, um, don't aggravate it, and hopefully it should improve. Um, Holistically, you could try a sports massage around uh, the glute or the lumbar spine. I'm not sure whether that will make much difference, but it's worth, it may be, give some therapeutic benefit. Um, so uh, that's my my two cents. There we go. Dr. Fiona Hicks, any come across that at all? It is apparently more common in women because of the shape apparently of the coccyx. Obviously, it's more likely to be irritated. Um, but have you come across it? I haven't, no. Um, I think... Uh, it, it's obviously it sounds like of just from listening listening to like Tim kind of talk about a treatment for it, I'm interested to know maybe if this person who asked the question has any more information about this individual because like if we treat it with like if they're deadlifting presumably they're actively involved in training for something whether that's recreational or not um I, I always just think of people landing on their bottoms when I think of somebody having cause. a bruise yeah. or, or aggravated coccyx. So I'm just wondering how that possibly could occur without any trauma to the area. I think the idea childhood. is, and I did look it up a little bit, because I'm aware of initial compact, um, you know, I know how much it hurts when, as a kid, someone pulls a chair away, you land and bang, and it can be really nasty, and it tends to clear up, I don't know, in a few weeks or something, as long as you're not aggravated with more exercise, which generally you're not really doing when you're a kid. But um, apparently, um, with deadlifting, squats, it can be aggravated because of the bracing involved when you are going down, holding that position, coming up again. It's strained to the ligaments around it. So they say different. So if it's like pressure, so if it's like pressure to the pelvic floor and the surrounding areas, then maybe it warrants a bit of investigating options for adjusting the lifting technique, perhaps. I don't know. Like I'm not an S&C coach. Maybe we need Sonia Fierro here, um, but 42. yeah, could be 42. an interesting topic to 
explore, I guess, because yeah, it's nice what you said. I'll go back to some questions to the person because the person will be there. I wonder if it is a woman. I wonder whether there is some further investigations there. It is more like, like I say, women suffer from it more commonly because of the openness of the coccyx because the shape of the pelvis. But um, yeah. well, they may have had a child. Like may, maybe it's with that, like exactly. yeah, we, we don't know, do we? Good stuff. I'd definitely this be why, questioning. Yeah. I'd definitely be questioning the correlation between the the deadlifting and the pain. Um, mm. My first instinct was to modify behavior and then i was looking in my mind at how can this occur and and it can't be for it had to be from sort of fixator or synergist muscle activity so that like, as you mentioned the bracing effect matt but mm. uh, i don't think there's a strong enough link between the causation there so i'd be looking at modifying behavior initially excellent there you go good stuff guy right uh let's uh, take it to the next question so Let's move this up. I'm going to go. This is something we've discussed before, but I think a lot of therapists go through it. So I'm, I'm apologies if you're a regular listener and you've seen a story, um, a question similar to this before. But I think a lot of uh, sports therapists, massage therapists starting out um, have this question. So let's just bring it up on the screen so people joining us live can see it so the short version of it for question four is how many clients a week before leaving my full-time job the full question um from uh where i saw it was how many clients a week should i see before leaving my job i'm currently seeing around 10 clients a week and can't realistically fit any more appointments in but leaving my full-time job will cause me to take a big financial hit to begin with and they are a sports massage therapist Tim, this is kind of your bag, isn't it? You've given lots of advice over the last three episodes of how to make these decisions and financial decisions. But what rings with this question for you? I mean, the first thing I'd say is, you know, probably 10 clients a week is probably not enough to supplement your income that you'd lose by leaving a full-time job. So our question straight away is, do you want to leave your full-time job or would you actually just prefer to reduce your hours and do it just, just do it gradually? I think if you look to reduce your hours and do maybe a little bit more part-time work and as your business builds up, then you can supplement your income more effectively. So I wouldn't make a big jump unless you're very, very busy. Um, and, uh, and, and also you've just got to bear in mind that doing full-time sports therapy, sports massage, massage therapy, all these kind of even physiotherapy and osteopathy, they're, they're very heavy on the, the body. They're quite hard on the body. So just make sure you're conditioned for that. Um, because actually, if you go full time into, into sports therapy and, and suddenly you find it's actually very hard on your hands, your fingers, your thumbs, your wrist, your back, your neck. Um, and then you're in a bit of a sticky situation. So I would gradually increase it slowly and reduce your full time work slowly. Um, and so you're not putting all your, your eggs in one basket. I, I would look at it mathematically. I would look at my expenditure. I would look at as Tim said, adjusting my employment to possibly part-time, supplementing that with the income from self-employment, obviously the associated costs that go with that accountancy, setting up a self-employed, etc. cetera. Um, but there's also a danger that a lot of people will use this, use the, 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 the soft tissue treatments, et cetera, the 10 clients a week to get away from a job which they don't like. So they're looking to, to jump out early. What I would say is you may have to jump out early but then take another job part time, something that, that doesn't take any any uh, real commitment or, or, or brain 
power so that you can then concentrate on building the, the part-time self-employment because I think there is a danger that unless we focus on the the, 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 the self-employment um, we can be guilty of treating it as a hobby not do the associated marketing and the and the research that's required you know um, uh, getting our unique selling point you know that that's really important is you know is this all in place and as a rule of thumb I, I think you're looking at three to six months from the date that you decide to leave your job to get all of your marketing and all your systems in place so that you can make that leap but 10 is not enough for me Fiona anything to add yeah I I also I think I missed, sorry, Tim, I missed a little bit of what you said. My internet kind of cut out. Um, so I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, repeating you. Um, but I do think like having 10 hours is, you know, I, I don't know how much exactly you'd have to charge. But in my principle, and I've, I've had conversations with students about this, like how much does it cost to live? How much can you afford, you know, to live on as a bare minimum and cover your kind of, cover your costs basically um that should be the first question what what are you accustomed to in your life and what can you live with and not live with um you know where the money comes from is down to you how many hours you work is down to you it's so subjective you know some people love working all hours of the day and some people really just want to condense their week their working week you know some people are really happy and thrive in a clinic environment on their own and some people desperately need team dynamic and kind of different environments to thrive as an individual so you know there is no one fit for everyone um how much you're comfortable with charging i mean that's a huge topic in itself you know if you can charge if you live in a really affluent area or you're willing to travel to a really affluent area and pay a big overhead for premises you might make a huge amount of money just on an hourly rate with clients but you might have to invest in other resources and you know it's 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 just such a subjective and complicated question to answer but I think knowing your overheads knowing what you're willing to give up is probably where it's at and then the maths is sort of the underpinning of it really um, but I always I always think it's good to have a backup it's always good to have something that you know you can fall back on to um, and hopefully you won't, but a plan B is always a good idea. Good the, good, the good thing about this industry that we're, we're in, Matt, is that it dovetails really nicely with a part-time day job, you know, and having that, that backup that Fiona mentioned, having the security of a part-time job, you know, 16 hours a week to pay your bills and then what you're earning from your self-employment as you develop that, that, that becomes your spending money, if you like. Um, so, yeah, think carefully, but it, it does dovetail really nicely, as I said, with having a part time job. Yeah. And I think like there's also a caveat in it, like not a caveat, but like also another element to think about is when you look at other people who are living off their income from or appear to be or you might have assumed that they're living off their income from their therapy business, actually consider possibilities that they might have other revenue, you know, not it's not you're not a failure if you're not making all your money from your clinic or from your therapy business you know if you're able to cover your costs by whatever means as long as they're ethical then you're just fine you know you're an individual you don't have to have everything coming from one particular career route you know so many people have multiple careers or multiple jobs and and income streams and you know 
don't 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 judge yourself against what other people are doing either. Do what's right for you. We did a, early on. We did a we did a podcast, a web chat about how do you measure success as a therapist. So I don't know what number that was, but that was when we were in the infancy of these uh, these weekly editions. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, some great advice. And I guess reaching out, and talking, maybe you know, this is where where a professional association is supposed to be able to support you. So reaching out. You know, to somebody, maybe not just fellow therapists, although that's nice to get some advice and support. But again, what works for one of them might not work for you. So you need to go to somebody who's experienced in in giving out advice and somebody who, you know, might be the founder of a, an association of respected sports soft tissue therapists. Somebody who's on the end of a phone whenever you need him or her or them. So, well, yeah, we, we do discuss this on just every fortnight on the coffee evening chats every every other wednesday half seven till nine where scott loins and myself take questions from members and we always talk about you know how do you get new clients you know how do you create your unique unique selling point how do you work out your branding how do you factor what you're going to charge so all of these are covered so we talk about client acquisition and retention and all sorts of things. So STA members who are listening, you want to join us every other Wednesday, 7.30. The Zoom link is put in the members group in, in the week of the chat. So uh, we've got one tomorrow evening. Brilliant. There you go. Right. Last question, gang. Put your thinking hats on. This is a deep one. Um, I will bring it up on the screen now. Recommendations for strong pop-up gazebos for event work. So the full question was, um, I bought a cheap one last year. And it ripped apart in the wind. Needed it for external events. So it's not actually it's very important. There's a lot of event work which is going on. If you're setting yourself up, last thing you want is your gazebo splitting, flying away when you've got people underneath it. So maybe over to you, Gary. You've spent many an event with gazebos up. Recommendations? Yeah, we, we've always used the gazeboshop.co.uk. We have always bought the 4.5 by 3 meter version, which you can get three therapists in comfortably. Uh, they are strong, um, they, they're guaranteed, and we've never had any problems. Um, so that's my recommendation. Fantastic. Um, anybody else? Fiona, let's go to you. Event work? Have you got a gazebo? I suppose that's an important question. I, uh, <laughs> it's a very good question, and I'm glad you asked. Um, <laughs> I have never owned a gazebo, but I did an event um, a few years ago for the Stroke Association, um, called a resolution run in Hagley in the West Midlands. And uh, I was kind of like, you know, panicking because I didn't have a gazebo. And it just so happened literally the night before, I know I left it to the last minute. I was kind of living by the, what's this? It's not the skin of my teeth or flying yeah, by the seat of my pants. That's the one I'm looking for. I, um, I was walking through the park. It, it was a nice balmy May evening. And uh, I, I saw across the park um, an event happening with several gazebos and I, I just wandered over and it turned out it was like the local scout group having a cookout in the park and uh, started talking to the, the guy who looked like he was in charge and I think his name was Lee, if I remember correctly. Um, and he, he, he was the owner of uh, several of these gazebos um, and it was just a kind of like happened upon him. And he agreed to not only lend me this gazebo, but also set it up on the day and take it down. And he was true to his word. He met me at Hagley Hall Estate and, and set it up and took it down at the end of the day. And it rained, so it was just as well. Um, 
So yeah, I can't recommend. I don't have a clue about the specs on it or anything like oh, that. Oh, but... such a great testimony! I thought you were going to say, and his web address is. So we've got is Lee. What was the name of the park? Maybe if people Lee want to hang around. From the... Lee from the Scouts. Okay, so I you mean, just, if you hang yeah, around in up. enough parks in Stourbridge in the West Midlands, Stourbridge, you might find it again. Hang around and just shouting Lee whenever you see Scouts. <laughs> that's, that's great. Thank you, Doctor Fiona Higgs, for for your opinion. That's great. But yeah, reaching out and asking for us. Yeah, it's worth saying that at the larger events, then the event organisers will usually um, supply you or provide a marquee. It might be. A registration marquee for the setup of the event after which it becomes the the massage tent um so yeah just check with the organizer also check with the location because some of them do have restrictions on what you can and can't use um also you've got the health and safety considerations if you're going and putting your own gazebo up in a in an area where there's a lot of athletes who's responsible who holds the ultimate liability if yours blows away in the wind and injures somebody very true. Tim, you've probably been in some of the biggest gazebos there are, what with your time at the Olympics and stuff. Yeah, I've been in a few. Actually, they're quite common at Olympic Games because there's mm. quite a lot of temporary buildings. So they have these big gazebos and they're, they're all air conditioned and, and, and split into different sections. Um, and we do own a small gazebo as well, which will be making an appearance for the King's Coronation. Uh, for our street party coming up um, in just over a week's time. Oh, no, less than a week. No, it's on Sun- we're having a street party on Sunday. Uh, so, yeah, I, I can't really add anything, frankly. I, I wouldn't know the recommendations or names. I think Gary's given a great, great recommendation. So that's good, I think. Fantastic. So that was the gazeboshop.co.uk. Seems to be the main one at the moment. And um, there's bound to be others, but that's the, that's the one. Uh, or if you can find it, then Lee... Um, from the scouts as well I can't recommend by Fiona. Uh, both of those fantastic um but it, yes i mean it is i mean the main message from that story is just don't buy cheap it's the same with massage couches isn't it if you find something that sounds too good to be true then it probably is 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 gonna fall apart you know and if you are relying your business on this then you don't want to just as you don't want a patient collapsing in your massage couch you don't want to be doing some of own work and then suddenly your gazebo blows away i'm always middle of the road man me i'm, I'm probably a marketer's dream because i'll always buy the one in the middle just go to amazon and find the one in the middle that'll do you know um, but there's probably yeah there's probably businesses that base themselves on people like me who always go to the one in the middle but yeah um branding on gazebos is a great opportunity does that have to cost much gary can you find that quite cheap? It it's doesn't quite, have to it? cost much, but it, it does no. cost a lot, yeah. I yeah. think it doubled it. We had a STA branded gazebo on the roofs, the sides, inside, outside, etc. Mm. So whatever way we set them up, there was always STA branding. And I think it nearly doubled the, the cost of the gazebo. But we had high-resolution printing, um, mm. and it's sublimination printing. I, I can't remember the exact term, but, uh, yeah, it was expensive. It's good though. Worth doing if you are out there. I think doing the event is again. It's again it depends. Do your as Gary would say, your expenditure sheet and and see if it's worth it. But it always impresses me. Great advertising for the time you're there. Right. Well, look, nine o'clock. Um, thank you. They were great questions. Thank you, people who sent them in. Thank you to everybody. Um, if you have joined us tonight or listened to the podcast, and thank you, um, frequenters of the. Uh, I'm just make sure I read it out properly. Frequenters of the. Oh, here we go. Yeah, Sports Massage Training and Support Group. Just quite a mouthful, isn't it? Sports Massage Training and Support Group. Yeah, thank you, people, for asking those questions. Um, if there's other questions which you'd like to put to us, obviously, for the first Tuesday of every month, just start emailing them now. 
Okay, so even if you get your answer, it's still a question that's come from the mouth of a soft tissue therapist. So other people, it's like always in a classroom. If you've got a question, you can guarantee that other people in the class might ask the same question. So just feed them through to us and it'll be really nice um, because they're real questions, they're real industry-based questions, which other people will have. So there we go. Um, thank you people very much for joining us. Um, Tim, appreciate it, given that you are you can say something, Tim. You have to keep quiet. Uh, thanks for that. I'm, I'm going to literally shoot off, but thanks, guys. And I look forward to seeing you in a month's time. Thank you. Thanks so much, Tim. See you, Tim. And um, Dr. Fiona Hicks, thank you so much for joining as well. Thanks for updating us on uh, the wonderful work you do at the Women in Sports Therapy podcast. If people want to listen to episode 11, it's out now on all popular uh, podcast apps. And if you want to watch the video, then you just have to go to the Sports Therapy association youtube channel and you will find it there if you want to look it up in google that it's episode 11 of the women in sports therapy podcast um, and it's called parenthood for sports therapists part one and i can't read the bottom because i've got something over it with sonia fiera I, I think, think that's, that's it, it yeah. <laughs> um, and if you're interested in Sonia Fiori, then like I say, there are other episodes with Sonia on the Sports Therapy Association podcast. We did um, something about a year ago. We had someone's on uh, put, kind of putting the evidence back into CrossFit, um, a, a very passionate CrossFit instructor with a practice of her own. Um, she was on the show, I think, in episode 80 with Robert Cowley and then came back. It was 82, then came back in 84, talk about flexibility. And also it was on six months ago, on the STA podcast 121 uh, to talk about um, weight training post-pregnancy uh, um, and how yeah you can get back in fitness, looking at the time scales, which are often generalized and, and not suitable for everybody when it comes to getting your strength back. Um, as far as uh, the Sports Therapy Association podcast goes, we'll be back the rest of the month, every Tuesday, with a focus on abdomen and groin pain. Starting next week, I can't say the guest yet because I'm still waiting on them to confirm, but I've got a, some wonderful guests lined up talking about that area of the body. And if you enjoyed this episode, then we'll be back the first Tuesday of June. It's after May, isn't it? Yeah, June. Gary, anything you'd like to close with? Anything official in terms of chasing people uh, to look at their uh, emails? Not, not officially, really. We've got a newsletter planned, which is coming out by the end of the week. Um, a couple of things we're going to be talking about tomorrow on the coffee evening chat around licensing working from home uh, if that's a, something for you to uh, to consider uh, insurability uh, of your practice if working from home garden rooms or within the property um, and also branding we're going to be looking specifically at um, how you brand yourself how you market yourself if you're a graduate sports therapist should your marketing be different to that if you're a soft tissue therapist so they're just a couple of subjects that we'll be raising tomorrow plus any questions from uh, the attendees fantastic and just to make that 7 30 did you say 7 30 till nine o'clock uh, the zoom link will be in the members only facebook group wonderful so if you're listening tonight and this isn't just a or it is one reason, one of the many reasons to, to kind of consider joining the Sports Therapy Association. If you are interested, then just head to the sta.co.uk and you'll find a link there and lots of information. Um, and if you do want any advice or you have any questions, then you can email um, Gary at the sta.co.uk or you can email Matt at the sta.co.uk. And if there's anything relevant to what we've said tonight or um, about the women in sports therapy, then you can uh, email WIST at the sta.co.uk and you'll get through to Dr. Fiona Higgs. Right, that's it. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Fiona, for giving up your time once again. Have a lovely evening.
Um, and everyone who joined us live, thank you very much. And thank you for listening to the podcast. Like I say, if you do enjoy it, then please do take a couple of moments just to leave a rating, especially on Apple Podcasts. Thanks very much and take care of each other. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Thank you.